0: Well, I'm going to make myself a little bit here, but in uh, 1968, I started high school
1: (laughs) at El Campo High
0: School in El Campo, Texas. My dad was the high school principal, so that made my life very interesting. And in 1970, a couple of years later state of Texas was required by the courts to finally integrate the school. Now, i probably heard more about it than most kids did because my dad was the high school principal. And we had an all-black high school and we had a predominantly white high school across different ends of town. And it was pretty stressful. The whole issues of race were right at the forefront in our community, a farming community outside of Houston. I mean, uh, it was it was still, I mean, you know, predominantly run by uh, white men in our city leadership and our county leadership in the schools, the school board, and all. But we were not integrated because the court said we, we had to <coughs> bring them together at the community center, and we would sit and talk about what was going on. And we did. And it was uncomfortable sometimes, uh, but it was very interesting and important. I mean, it was it was very meaningful for me and uh, made me unhappy because we got to know people. We got to know each other in these conversations. Well, our church... First United this Church of El Campo decided they could in on the act, so they decided to take our senior high youth to an all-black church worship Oh. <laughs> like, I don't even know that I knew the church that we went to was even there. I'm embarrassed to say that, but I don't know. And then, so we went to this church, and oh my gosh, it was beautiful. It was very simple white church, and very small compared to our brand new Methodist Church across town. Uh, But, oh... a gentleman got up and came here and coin in each of our hands so that we would have something to put in the offering plate. It was just a powerful experience and I want to tell you that I want to tell you that everything was better after that but it wasn't. I mean, you know, things didn't magically change. I hope it's all better now. I think it would have been better if we required the votes to do what we did. But they didn't do that. But um, there were still big divisions. And we know about divisions, don't we? We know too much about divisions right now. Uh, But I wanna tell you that it's been going on for a long time. Because when Paul writes this letter to the church at Ephesus, they're in big divisions. And, And he knows about divisions. I mean, this letter to the Ephesians is an extraordinary text. It's extraordinary in what it teaches. And I'm gonna encourage you to read it, front to back. You don't have to read it all in one sitting, but read a chapter and think about it, and then read another chapter and think about it, because Paul is teaching well here. He's doing this great job. And, And some scholars believe that this was a general epistle that went to all the church, you know, got circulated around to the churches. There's, I, I don't know that anybody knows the truth about that or not, but, but if that's the case, then Paul would probably, we could probably say that the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Greenland Hills United Methodist Church in Dallas. that The Apostle Paul's letter to the church at New Church Chiesa Nuova United Church of Christ. I mean, That's how relevant this writing is. Well, the overarching theme of this letter is that Paul is pleading, actually is begging, as the scripture says this morning, for the church to strive for unity. For the church to strive for unity. Because what Paul's church at Ephesus is facing is that Jews and Gentiles have come together to be together as a community, a faith community. And you know, uh, there's a very different way of worshiping when that's the case. I mean the Jews have very, very prescribed ways of worshiping and of living. And the Gentiles were out of a completely different group and so here they have been brought together and now suddenly they're having to deal with their differences. They're having to see if they can truly be the community Paul is calling them to be. They're trying to figure all that out. Now, I want to tell you that the first three chapters of Ephesians that leads to this chapter 4 is pretty good stuff. I mean, Paul blesses them. Tells them that they're a chosen people. He says that there's reasons to hope. He, he calls them to praise God. And then in a couple of places in those three chapters, he actually prays for them. Prays for them. Writes a letter of prayer for them. Now think about If we're reading that and it's a prayer for us. This is what Paul's doing. Well, at the end of chapter 3, he gives a... A benediction. It's kind of like when the pastor gets to the end of the sermon, you think, "Oh, they're done." And then the pastor says, "Well, therefore," <laughs> right? Well, that's what Paul does. He gives this sort of benediction. He says, "Oh, it's the end of the book, uh, the end of the letter." And then he says, "Therefore." Now, listen. Anytime you see a "therefore" in Scripture, you better pay close attention to what happens next, because that's what Paul wants us to get. So Paul says, "Therefore." And then says, I beg you. I'm a prisoner in Christ. I beg you. I beg you to strive for unity. I'm begging. This is really important. And then, Paul reminds us how we are to be as people of God, as followers, as chosen people, as blessed people. This is how we're supposed to be. And And he reminds them of this important thing. There is one body, one spirit, one hope, one redeemer, one faith, one baptism, one God. Now, listen, you know, he he is telling us something that if you pause for a minute, you will realize that this is not easy stuff. Paul is challenging, pushing, begging. This is not easy to do. But he's laying it out for us. To see and to hear was so important. And, and he's not talking about our individual churches. He's talking about the church. And he's talking about the people of God in all places He's talking to people who, are, who have um, voluntarily entered into this community. They weren't forced. We are not forced. I mean, he's talking to us because it's a voluntary entering into the life with God. A voluntary entering into saying, I'm going to follow the way of Jesus. A voluntary entering into breaking open our hearts to let the Spirit guide us. This is what Paul is asking of us. It's a deep personal challenge, and it's a deep communal challenge. It's about community, which Paul believes is critical. Well, you know, we got some challenges today. Did you notice? I mean, we're, we're in this... Uh, I mean, I get, I'm, I've been living with an upset stomach for months now. As we get closer to this election on Tuesday, I mean, it's 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 really hard. You know it. I know it. I had to quit watching the commercials. Um, you know, we've got that. And and out of all that's going on, we we're learning that we're having more violence, right, in our communities and on our roadways. And. And the, these divisions are so big that even this morning, I'm looking at the articles in the New York Times, and some family is so divided at this point, the fam- their family, that, um, you know, uh, they're dividing their mail. Because they don't want to see, you know, I don't want to see your mail. This is a, a really difficult divisions that we're having. There's a... There's also a loss of understanding of civility, and a power of civility, the desire for the common good. I mean, I'm, I feel pretty good when things go my way, but how do I feel when they go your way, and that's not my way, and and, and so we've lost this sense of the common good. We pride ourselves in rugged individualism, right? This is our country, rugged individualist, and But without any softening of that, without any balancing of that in community, then it becomes a a question about how we're going to live. I mean, you know and I know if you follow the news that we've had threats against our elected officials, local, regional, national, and their families. And you know, what's gonna happen is people are gonna quit saying, I'm not running for office. I, I don't want my family threatened, and, and we're gonna lose all kind of leaders. Well, Paul knows this division. And if you read the text we have this morning, Paul also knows how to bring community, how to make a place for all. Paul says, um, you know, be humble, be gentle, be patient. These, I mean, write them on your bathroom mirror. Be humble, be gentle, be patient, because Paul understands that humility brings forth, gr- brings forth hope, and gentleness brings forth graciousness, and patience brings forth possibilities. So that, he says, Be humble, be gentle, be patient, so that you might bear one another in love. This is the main thing, that you might be able to bear one another in love. And that's all good, right? But there's that one thing, one body, one spirit, One hope, one redeemer, one faith, one baptism, one God. How do we do that? How do we do that? How do we make sense of it? Well, Paul, perhaps we need to see what Paul doesn't say. Because Paul doesn't say... For our unity to become uniformity. This is not. Paul doesn't say that. We say that in our, in our communities, in our churches. A lot of places we say, well, I, if you're going to hang with me, uh, you've got to walk like me, talk like me, love like me, be like me. We do a lot of that. But Paul doesn't say that. And in fact, it's totally counter to who we are. Because you see, we worship a triune God. And if, I mean, who could explain that? We worship a God who is manifest as creator and as a redeemer and as a sustainer. We worship a triune God who is in community and who speaks to each other and who does collective work. This is who and how we understand God to be. And if that is how God is, then that is how we are called to be. We are called to be a people who talk to each other and are in community together. We, that's the kind of people, the mystical communion of the body of Christ. Right? So, we know this truth. If, if you think about it, Greenland Hills knows this truth. New church knows this truth. We know this truth. So, um, I love the opera, operacio abrigo, the, the ministry to build houses at the border of Juarez and El Paso. And let me tell you something, when, when folks go down there to do that work, they're working alongside people who I'm sure they don't share all the same common kind of beliefs don't have, share all the same understandings and values that maybe Greenland Hills does. I mean, but they do this work in the name of Jesus Christ because we are called to be one. And so some of those things fall away that we are in dissonance about with each other when we do this work, right? Um, you know, New Church, uh, y'all are going to have your 81st birthday, next Sunday. We just celebrated nine years. (laughs) In nine years we've been in six homes, church homes, six places. And I want to tell you what it meant for us to come here. We've been a nomadic church. We've never owned property. We've always done our ministry as best we could where we were. But Greenland Hills welcomed us and gave us this beautiful space in which to worship. And we share the burden financially of all of that, but um, it's not a burden, it's a gift. And we get to participate in the global village market and and go on the house building in Juarez and we, we get to do all of these things and we, there's childcare because of you. and, and It is the most gracious gift. And sometimes we get to give back a little, right? Sometimes we do some things and are able to give back. And together we figure out how we are to be the church. And we don't have to be organically united. And we don't have to be exactly alike. In fact, it is our differences that unleash the Holy Spirit into our lives and into the world. And that allows us to be the church. And you know what? In Abu Dhabi, in Berlin, Germany, and in Omaha, Nebraska, (laughs) there are faith buildings, houses, churches, or whatever, that house a church, a mosque, and a synagogue. That's amazing to me. And so I think and I dream that Greenland Hills and New Church are going to be usher in this new way of being the church. That we can be multiple communities under one roof that do amazing things because the spirit is unleashed among us. And then it gets dicey. Laughter Uh, when I was at the Cathedral of Hope, uh, D Magazine ran an article about Reverend Dr. Robert Jeffress, who is the pastor of First Baptist Church in downtown Dallas. And I didn't care for it because it made him out to be this great hero, and I disagree with him on pretty much everything. (laughs) And so I wrote a letter to the editor and said, you know, I I'm sure he's an okay person. I've never met him. But here's what he's doing. By talking about LGBTQ people the way he does, he is making it unsafe for for us. He is giving cover to people who want to hurt us, to take away our vote, and that's just not right. Well then, you know, from then on, anything that had to do with LGBT people, the TV stations would call him and me. <laughs> And we go into the TV station and we debate. Well, I want to tell you something about him, and that is that when the lights go on and the cameras come on, he becomes a yard dog. I mean, yep, 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 yep. I couldn't get a word in edgewise hardly, although I did. But anyway, um, <laughs> but what I want to say to you is that they usually kept us in separate rooms before the broadcast. But, but. This one time we were in the same room and I encountered a gentleman with a soft voice who was interested in my ministry and what I was doing. And as I watched him leave after the broadcast, after he'd torn me apart limb from limb, I told Stephanie when I got home I've been slimed uh, that I saw him leaving and I felt my heart ached for him. Because he couldn't be who he was when the lights and the cameras come on. And I realized that um, I still disagree with pretty much what he preaches and teaches. But there is one body. There is one spirit. There is one Redeemer, one faith, one baptism. And I'm called to be humble and gentle and patient for as long as it takes. As long as it takes. But here's the good news. I don't have to do it all by myself. The very first chapter of Genesis tells us that we are made in the image and likeness of God. We already have what it takes. We have already been given the gifts. And all the gifts are needed to make the one church and, and then, at the end of that chapter 3, Paul says, and now, oh, what does he say? He said, I've got a hear You know I've slept since then. He says, now to the one who is by the power at work within us, is able to do abundantly far more than we could ever ask or imagine to that one be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus this is the promise for us we're not in this alone we don't have to create it it's already happening it is the risen Christ among us it is the holy spirit guiding us one body one redeemer one faith One baptism, one God. May it be so. Amen. Amen.